Welcome. This is season three of The Daily Market, where we've decided to do something a little special. Earlier this year, startup junkie and marketplace master Ty Wolf-Jones, hey Ty, approached me and pitched us the idea of instead of interviewing founders and marketers, why don't we dive into the world of marketplaces, the VH1 behind the music of marketplaces, or what is the making of the sausage of a marketplace? Ty could bring the operations point of view, and I could bring the marketing point of view, and we could make some marketplace magic, or maybe a little more like Marketplace Mayhem. So join us for the series where we've spoken to over a dozen marketplace leaders and pioneers from Uber, Convoy, Bellhop, DoorDash, Rover, but also some rising stars and marketplaces from multiple countries, venture capitalists, and more. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Ladies and gentlemen, who is Matt Kerman? Matt Kerman is the Director of Growth Programs at Convoy, a digital freight network transporting the world with endless capacity and zero waste. You could say it's akin to the being the Uber of freight, where Matt was one of the first 15 members. All this makes sense given Matt came from Uber before this, where he cut his teeth in the high-octane world of marketplace startups. At Uber, Matt was part of the Hardy Ops team. You consider it the beating heart of Uber Seattle. But back to Convoy. Over the course of eight years, Matt went from founding member to supply-side expert in physical marketplaces, where he's been a diehard evangelist of the company, while coming from the performance-heavy world of college basketball, where he was a 1,000-point scorer. Damn, pull up, Matt. This conversation was full throttle, pun intended. It was really entertaining, honestly. It's loaded with gems of amazing stories of marketplace scale and challenges. You can really tell Matt brings the ruckus and energy of an athlete to a marketplace Kind of second to none of of any of the guests that we've had on the show. What do you think, Ty? Yeah. yeah, Matt is the real deal, man. He's an operator that's been there in the trenches. He's done the things that don't scale and then scaled them. And you can tell that from his resume being as two of the biggest marketplaces in the world, tackling and changing industries. So stay tuned. I think you're going to dig this one. We do dive deep into other stuff, such as taking the road less traveled that is startups and why Matt did that and how fun that can be. The dance of building hard-earned trust and respect of truckers and trucky companies. How to just do that to build that supply side. Key principles of ops for a physical startup marketplace. Breakthroughs that he found in acquiring supply and operating in a demand-led market. And then, of course, the ingenious flywheel um, that Convoy figured out that keeps on giving for them. So join us. This episode, I think, is ridiculously valuable for any operator, be it a founder, be it an ops guy, gal, a marketer, but those that have to do it from the very beginning, when you don't have any of the systems, any of the things figured out, and you just got to go out there and sell the thing, do the damn thing, right? So please stay tuned. I think you really love this one. As always, you can like and subscribe, but what do we want? We want to hear from you. We would love a comment. We'd love a question. What do you love? What do you hate? Etc. You can also find our show notes at our website, jacobkubica.com. That's J-A-K-U-B-K-U-B-I-C-K-A.com. Please 
Stay tuned and enjoy. This is going to be a good one. Mayhem on. Enjoy. Matt, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on Marketplace Mayhem. I thought we'd start off with a really important trucking and supply chain question, which is, how come Forrest Gump is your favorite movie ever? <laughs> Forrest Gump is my favorite movie ever because it has everything to do with trucking. No, no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. There. <laughs> it has a bit of everything. Uh, Forrest Gump, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry. It has friendships, it has love. You know, what else do you need? It, it has Tom legendary Hanks. characters. You know, you have Tom yeah. Hanks, you got Robin Wright, you have Bubba, Lieutenant Dan. I mean, it's just legendary, you know? Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. After I found out that it's one of your favorite movies, I actually was thinking about that that film and I was actually thinking about Tom Hanks and how he's such a remarkable actor and that he was so good at transforming into that character, right? He was. He was. It was kind of out of character for what he had done. It previously. really was. Yeah. It, it was a, a breakthrough role for him. Um, for sure. And apparently he got, so like fun fact, he got the the way that he spoke in uh-huh. that movie from uh, Young Forest, the child actor who was playing Young Forest at the beginning of the movie. Oh, interesting. oh wow. So he with, didn't really with, know. With the how, braces around his legs. Exactly. Okay, you know, the, wow. run, the run, Forest run. So he didn't really know how he was going to speak as Forrest Gump because it was uh-huh. this weird Southern kind of simple speech that he was going to be doing. And just the way that this child actor did it from him. It worked. Yeah, little, it worked. I know a lot of fun facts about Love Forrest it. Gump. Don't, don't get me started on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, yeah. And you're right. The characters are like second to none. Like there's so many good, and he had to play so many different parts of the evolution of his life was yeah, awesome. And and the other, I'll, I'll give you one other cool thing. It's one of the first movies that had CGI in it. So you know when oh. when he would when he would be talking to the different presidents, mm-hmm. you know that was early CGI when Lieutenant Dan was doing all the stuff with no legs. Mm. You know that was CGI, mm-hmm. right? You know, right. So it, it was it was ahead of its time uh, for that as well. Nice. And it actually does have a nice supply chain connection to it theme. I mean. Forrest travels around the entire country, right? He even yeah. literally runs across the entire <laughs> country, right? That, well, that he the does. Products, the products and brands involved with, right? You know, bubblegum shrimp, <laughs> apple, like <laughs> there is a lot there. Yeah. Whenever yeah. he's like running and he he puts his face on a t-shirt. Yeah. Right, and it, right. It's the I mean, smiley yeah. face. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and uh, I mean, little did little did we know that was Forrest Gump. Exactly. Yeah. So there, there's definitely some tie-ins there to supply chain. I, I love it. <laughs> I love it. I think he won the Academy Award too, right there. And it, as you mentioned, it's it a breakthrough for for Tom Hanks. Uh, well, speaking of Tom Hanks, he's 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 a bold character or a bold actor in some way of the roles he's taking on. Why, why does the quote "Fortune favors the bold" resonate with you? Yeah, I think it resonates with me because you know I I don't actually remember where I got that quote from, but in general, I think it's exciting and exhilarating to kind of take the road less traveled. And kind of often when you do, and you do so with conviction, so you're all in on it, things can really turn out for the better for you. So, you know, a couple of examples there as they pertain to me is, you know, an easy one is both my parents and my brother were lawyers, uh, are lawyers or were lawyers. And I decided, nope, I want to try to be a businessman. So uh, that was one route where I just you know, I wasn't really going to get much help from my family, but I, I wanted to go a different way. 
Um, I'm originally from the East Coast. So I uh, moved out to Seattle in 2010 without a job. Uh, I remember I had, I played basketball in college and a couple of my teammates were from Seattle. I had come and visited a couple of times uh, over the summer. So I was somewhat familiar with Seattle and uh, a couple of those teammates, their fathers uh, offered to you know, try to help me, give me a little guidance in, in finding a career fit back in 2010. And so I, uh, I packed a few duffel bags and, and headed out and uh, I'm still here over 10 years later. So I'd say that was another one. Um, nice. Bold. You know, I, I just, two other small ones that, that have worked out well for me, I'd say was, was one is before I joined Uber, the way that the timing worked out, I'd actually already accepted a job somewhere else. Huh. And funny enough, they had, it, it was a large um, publicly traded company and they had new uh, incoming classes every six weeks of, of employees. And so when I, when I signed with them, I had six weeks basically until I started. So I, I left my job. I, I did two weeks down in Colombia and two weeks down in Ireland, like did some travel. Oh yeah. And when I, and when I got back, I had a job offer from Uber in my inbox Damn, and and I decided to do maybe again the the less conventional path. I had coffee with the guy who had hired me at the other company, uh, mm-hmm. super nice, super understanding guy, and I just told him, "Hey, look, like, hate to do this to you at the last minute, but I have to go with Uber here." Mm-hmm. And uh, to his credit, he was very understanding. And then I guess not to not to dwell on this too much, but I'd say the last one was I was super happy at Uber, and after about a year and a third. When I thought I would have stayed at Uber for at least four years, uh, I left Uber to join Convoy as a brand new startup. So, not not to embellish, you know, me taking big risks. There's a lot of people out there who are starting companies and things of that nature, which I deem even more risky. Um, but I do think some of those risks have helped me get to where I am today. Nice. And and by nature, Uber and Convoy are that they they go against the grain, right? They they are the road less traveled because they're they're pioneers yes yes they are um do you identify with that i do i mean i i think just in my own sphere my small sphere like i said uh i come from a background of lawyers and uh you know just kind of working my way into the business world with um you know some guidance and tutelage from a lot of mentors people i really appreciate but uh without kind of that experience from kind of like as a child watching your parents do a business or I just never had that. So I'd say that to that extent, I've pioneered a bit. Um, and then also uh, uh, there's a VC out here who um, he's from New York originally. And he once told me that all great men go West. So I guess I, I, guess I followed his guy. <laughs> Uh, you you know, I'll get, I'll give him the credit. I'm just the follower there. So maybe I'm not the pioneer, but, but here we are. <laughs> you still did it. You still did it. Yeah. yeah. Still did it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he read grapes of wrath a few times. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we talked a little bit about Uber. You mentioned it. What effect did joining Uber have in the early days of, of the Seattle team? You're one of the, the, the first members there have on your career and, and life. I, something I've noticed, and I've noticed that also with ties, it found such high caliber people with either high aptitude or, or had already proved themselves. And then it just gave them their their, their full potential to, 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 be, to be blossomed, right? And, and then it seems yeah. like so many people have done great things since Uber 
what effect did it have on on your career in life? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. I'd say like, to your point, Uber did a tremendous job hiring very hungry talent. And by hungry, I mean like, it wasn't really just a job for people. I think when you got to Uber, you immediately, you know, for better or worse, kind of drank the juice. And But, but one thing that you saw from that is that you could really change the world um, with the right idea and good execution. And, you know, I think along with Todd, I'm very close still with, you know, about seven or eight of the folks from the Uber Seattle office, many of whom have gone on to, to start their own companies. You know, so this kind of think big culture really was imprinted on all of us. I think, you know, the other thing is, you know, we saw from Uber, you can change the world. And I caught the bug to go big. Mm. Uh, and so that's why I think with Convoy, you know, and I, when I met Dan Lewis, who's the founder, uh, and he said, yeah, it's an $800 billion a year industry in the US. Truck drivers, the number one uh, job in 29 states. You know, we're in a coffee shop and he says, everything in this coffee shop was delivered here on a truck. Mm. I'm just sitting there thinking, holy cow. Like I never yeah. knew how big this was. And so I think, you know, it just, it just changed my life. Like I, I saw... You know, I, I went from, like I said before, this job that I was, that I had already accepted, which was going to be kind of in the enterprise sales mode, mm-hmm. which is a fine career into this other world of immense talent, hustle, creativity, innovation. Uh, and I, and I just, like I said, I, I caught the bug. So that's how it changed yeah. me. And then, and then just being around other just excellent operators really made me want to up my game. You know, it was a cool, and Ty can attest to this. I think it was a pretty cool culture there back in 2014, 2015, where uh, it, it was so many talented people there, but we were more collaborative than competitive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and because of that, like, you know, I could reach out anytime to somebody in the LA office or the SF mm-hmm. office and say, hey, I'm working on this. What are best practices for it? And it would never be, oh, I can't tell you that because mm-hmm. uh, I need to, you know, beat you at this. It was, oh yeah, let's let's grab 30 minutes and I'll tell you all about it. And and I love that. And I learned a ton in that short kind of year and a half period that I was there. You're on the team, right? That's sort of, <laughs> let's, uh, yeah. I got your back. I, exactly. I, I've always equated the experience of working in a, in a startup to a little bit like being an athlete on a team. Because when you're in a startup, you have to improvise with these challenges that are thrown at you and not freak out and not go, you know, hinge on to someone who you're like, oh my God, I could just always ask my boss or I could always ask that one person, right? And building that muscle, it's almost like just getting reps in it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, I, I played sports my whole life growing up. I played college basketball, as I mentioned, and there are a lot of similarities to, to kind of the early stage startup and a sports team. Uh, it's It's like everybody together can yeah. accomplish so much. And a lot of times you can draw energy and inspiration from those next to you. I mean, at Uber, I remember our office was like this square, tiny kind of square, like one floor of a building. Um, and it would be, you know, 5, 6 p.m., whatever. And, and the day would be wrapping up. And we kind of look at each other. We said, hey, should we go like grab some dinner and then come back and jam for a few hours? And it was just so fun. Like you build this camaraderie that you, that you never forget. And then early days at Convoy, um, Again, you know, this was, and we'll probably get to this, but this was before really we had a lot of automation. So a lot of the the early supply and ops work we were doing was manual. 
And it required just a lot of man hours, kind of, I'll call it in the trenches. And, you know, what we had was we had just a great team. We all liked each other. We made sure that we kind of worked hard, played hard, but, but also, you know, when you looked to the person to your, your right or your left, you really trusted them and you felt like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't want to let them down because they're not letting me down. Um, and and it's just a cool feeling. You know, I think when you achieve things, you know, when you have a fundraising round, uh, when you hit certain milestones, it is, it's like one of the best feelings in these startups to go celebrate it together as a team, because everybody feels like they were a big part of it. I agree. I I haven't read that Malcolm Gladwell book, David versus Goliath or David and Goliath, but I think an analogy is the startup versus the corporate conglomerate, right? As in David, David really can, he might look small, but he's, but he's lean, you know, like he can move quick. He can get stuff done. And it seems like Convoy has just done these incredible feats of, of disrupting something and creating a lot of incredible features. We, Ty and I have been learning about a few of the features. Um, it's, it it really is a, an agile David, you know, (laughs) it is, It, it certainly is. It's, uh, you know, when we, when we got started with Convoy, I'd say like one thing that helped us is we didn't know what we didn't know. So we, we very much respected the trucking industry, but I think on our founding team of 15, we only had one person who had any trucking experience. And so we were naive to the fact, to all the things that the established trucking industry said couldn't be done. Uh, you know, one thing in particular is, is we got out there and, you know, we were selling this vision of really like an Uber-like service where you could get on your phone and just get the best truckload truckloads of freight, you know, sent to you on your phone for you to accept or reject or bid on whatever. And, you know, we, we essentially required that our carriers use this app, use the technology that, that we were um, bringing to market. And I think, you know, our ability to do that and kind of say, hey, we're changing the industry, like come, come along with us, mm-hmm. be an early adopter for the ride, it will help you. That that might be like the best example, at least from the supply side of kind of that David uh, mentality, which yeah. was, Under hey, we, we can go after this, yeah, this yeah. massive industry and we can change it. And, you know, we don't have the 15 years of trucking experience where everybody says, ah, oh, an app will never work. You know, right. we come from places like Uber or, you know, Facebook or a different, you know, a lot of tech companies that have changed a lot of things and we just went at it. Like, hey, we're not going to be denied. And, uh, you know, we obviously are still very young. We're six years in, but uh, I think we can luckily still kind of be the David for, for quite some time. And hopefully that'll help us ultimately win in this in this space. Yeah, I dig it. So you you, you join this, you're, you're on this other, this rocket ship, right? You get the chance to join this brand <laughs> new thing, small team. What what did you join? You're, you're one of the 15 what, what were you doing? What was, what was it like in those early days? Like what was, and what was your role um, yeah. at, at Convoy? You know, like I said, uh, Dan Lewis, the founder of, of Convoy, co-founder, excuse me. He and I chatted and he was like, Hey, I'm starting this Uber for trucking. Uh, I could use some supply side help. Uh, and I'm in Seattle. And so I'm looking at the Uber Seattle folks. And so he, he basically said, look, like, you know how to um, acquire supply, to manage supply, to optimize su- supply. And that's exactly what I need somebody to do on the trucking side of the business. Uh, so as you mentioned, joined as a, a member of the founding team there. Uh, I was in the first 15 after we raised the seed round uh, pre-series A. So 
what I basically came in to do was, was figure out, okay, how do we do really two things? One was how do we get trucking companies to use our app? Um, again, we did not want to be a traditional freight broker, traditional freight mm. broker model. Uh, for those of you who don't know is you hire a, a floor of kind of what, what they call carrier sales reps. Each rep has a book of, you know, some 20 to 50 trucking companies that they're kind of calling all day, manually assigning loads to doing a little negotiation. My job was find trucking companies. Um, and we started out just in Seattle. So it's pretty, it, it was, I, I was going to say easy. It wasn't easy. We can get to that. Um, but I had to find trucking companies in Seattle that could move the very small number of loads um, that our sales team was going out and getting, again, from very small, um, I'll, I'll call them local and regional shippers at that time. Um, and, you know, so that was one, find trucking companies who will service these loads. Um, and these are this, shippers, or sorry, these are carriers. These Exactly. So in the marketplace, sorry, a little background, you have... Uh, the supply side is carriers and that's trucking companies. And then the demand side is shippers. And that would be, you know, shippers that you're probably familiar with would be like Anheuser-Busch, for instance, who's going to do thousands and thousands of full truckloads. And those are the big 53-foot dry vans that you see on the highway. Uh, they're doing thousands and thousands of, of loads of freight. Yeah. Um, and, and so there's two things, like I said. One, get supply onto our platform using our app. With the thought being, when we did get a shipment, we would put that shipment into the app. And those trucking companies, if we were lucky, one of them would want that shipment, they would accept mm. it. And there you go. There you have the early makings of an automated marketplace. Um, what we quickly learned was that uh, the second responsibility was coverage. So early on, you know, we would get one shipment. And I'd, I'd say, oh, I have 25 carriers, trucking companies using my app. I like that ratio, 25 to one. One of them will definitely take this load. And what do you know? Like 95% of the time, they did not take the load. Um, so what that wow. made us do is actually pick up the phone uh, and go outside of our marketplace to find suppliers, to find trucking companies who were interested in that particular piece of freight. And I think wow. uh, one thing that's kind of interesting is in the industry, you know, it's 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 kind of a a known thing where like failures happen. Uh, so, you know, a shipper might give a broker a load of freight and, you know, just that broker can't find a truck. And so they call the shipper and they say, Hey, we got to move this to tomorrow. And yeah, the shipper is usually a little ticked, but usually they just move it to tomorrow. And, and that's how the trucking supply chain kind of works. Um, again, the naivete of not being from the trucking industry early on, what I said to the, you know, to myself and then my team as we grew was we cannot fail on any of these loads. There will there will be no there will be no movements to tomorrow. Um and that was kind of just again not knowing any better. This is the standard we set. So it was getting supplied, trying to automate the, the marketplace. And then when that didn't work, finding trucks through hell or high water to move the freight. Um, because my thesis was if we don't find trucks to move the freight, then that shipper is not going to come back to convoy. Right. And that's how the marketplace fails before it ever back, really. Exactly. Back to the way they were doing it. Exactly. It, it, yeah. you, you, you perfectly highlighted one of the things that we've kind of been exploring here, which is, you know, <laughs> someone who's come from Uber, um, Uber who really made marketplaces or at least these operational marketplaces that exist today. 
the the thing right and and everybody's the uber of and even you said like convoy at one point was thinking of themselves the uber of here you go you got a uber professional who knows the uber of you walk in you say <laughs> i'm gonna give this guy an app he's gonna download it just like my drivers at uber uh gonna show a, a ride and someone's gonna pick it up just like at my time at uber and yet that didn't that's not how it played out um, one of the things we've been exploring is this idea of like the different styles and different types of marketplaces. And I think Convoy is, is the pinnacle right now of that B2B marketplace, right? In a humongous yeah. industry, entrenched industry. Um, to your point, like truckers are needed, they're everywhere, but they've been doing it kind of the one way or the couple of ways forever, right? Ever since it's been around. Yeah. You know, what else did you learn? How did you start to understand your your suppliers, your your drivers, in this sense, that was different than where you'd come from at Uber, um, that world. Yeah, certainly, that's a that's a great question. So, I think one thing that I I'd touch on is just unlike Uber, where more often than not you were dealing with you know somebody who unfortunately may have just lost a job, or maybe mm. they were between jobs, or maybe you know they were somebody who just had a few hours that they wanted to, you know, you're essentially bringing somebody into the marketplace there who you know, is probably not a professional driver, but somebody who just like you or me, is probably a decent driver. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't necessarily take, there's not necessarily a sense of pride for, I, I guess, 90% of Uber drivers on like their driving record. Uh, it's <laughs> it's kind of just, hey, like we have a ton of demands. I can help you make money. All you got to do is come with a car and drive. Big difference with trucking is, you know, we're coming into a, a, a situation where, Trucking companies, uh, you know, they've been operating for some of them we've talked to operating for 40 years. Uh, And and so you have to build their trust. You can't just be this tech company with this fancy app. (laughs) You know, this this is an industry which, you know, part of the reason I think why Dan and Grant wanted to do this is it had been operating on phone and and fax for a long time. Um, And so you need to be able to talk to trucking companies and how can you do that? Well, you have to really understand what they're doing and you have to respect what they're doing. Um, and so I give a lot of credit. I had a colleague uh, early on named Mike Gray, who was the one of the 15 who I mentioned, who was actually from the trucking industry. Yeah. And uh, he, he and his father had, had owned and operated a 15 truck uh, company. And he taught me a ton. I mean, you know, it's, it's such an underappreciated, right. So important industry. Right. And, yeah. and, you know, it's a hard one. You know, a lot of these truck drivers who are not local, they're spending a lot of time away from their family. They're in the wow. truck so often they, they can't really get out and exercise or go to an mm-hmm. exercise class like you or, you or I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, facilities can sometimes be tough parking, like finding a place to shower after a long night. So it's dedication. Addi- it's, it's dedication. So in addition to like the human mm-hmm. element, mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there's also, so that's the human element. And then there's just like the, this job is freaking hard, you know? Yeah. Yeah. With, with Uber, again, just drawing the comparison, there's not a lot that can go wrong on a job. You know, it's <laughs> like, maybe I pick somebody up two blocks away from where they were. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm running two minutes late, you know, God forbid there's a crash, but right. with trucking, you know, with, with trucking, these guys and, and, and women are rolling into a pickup location or drop off. They have to sit there and wait for hours. They might've mm-hmm. had another load booked that was dependent on them being able to drop off that freight in a timely manner. And they're sitting there for five hours because the, the drop-off facility is backed up and now their next load is, is, um, you know, canceled on them because they can't mm. make it on time. 
you know, they're, they're usually paid in say 45 to 60 to even 90 days for their work. And, you know, 90, I think it's 80 or 90% of of trucking companies on the road are, are, or we deem mom pause, you know, somewhere between one and five trucks and they have cash flow needs. And so unnecessary evil, I'll call it in the industry is, is these factoring companies that uh, they have to exist to give trucking companies access to faster funds, but it'll cost the trucking companies roughly 3% of the job they just did. Uh, So it's just tough. And and that's, that's all to say is we had to really get to know trucking and show these, not just speak it, but show these carriers that we cared. Um, And we built some great innovations into our early product that I think did a good job to speak to that and show that. And, and ultimately were, were things that helped to get carriers interested in working with us. Um, so that's probably the biggest difference is just yeah. the, the professional nature versus the, oh yeah, I'll just go drive on Uber and right, whatever. Right. <laughs> I don't need anybody patting me on the back for how good of a, a driver I might be. <laughs> but I think you highlighted something else there that I thought is really key, especially when you think of like these people who have pride in what they're doing. This is their vocation, not a hobby, not they make extra money, not an uh, an interim gig, right? And I think this is where this is where you know the the media coverage of these types of things, like calling everybody gig workers, calling everybody even freelancers, or you know, it's like it doesn't really acknowledge like all the different types of things that marketplaces can power and do, um, and these and these these people and and and, and proud professional people that were uh, that you're working with. But, but that also begs the question, like you said, I got to go talk to this driver this truck owner who's been doing this for whatever, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And now I got to tell him to do it new. I got to tell him to do it a different way. We want to come in. We don't want to do it the old way. And you got to build this trust. I mean, you said the word, this is the kind of the, the key element. And I just love to talk about this from an operator standpoint, right? Like sure. we always talk a lot about in the tech industry, you might hear a, a product manager or a engineer, like learning about their user, but this is an operator. You're you're a, you're a supply side guy, man. You've been talking to drivers for years. You've been doing this thing, and now you've got this new group to build trust with. I'd love to like explore a little bit, like those tips and tricks. What did you? How did you do that in those early days? You don't know this this group. You're trying to figure it out. How did you start to build their trust? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I think the first tip and trick is like do things that will not scale. Mm. Um, so when I joined, again, naive. I was not aware of a lot of online resources that could help me uh, determine who the best trucking companies were for certain jobs. So what did I do? I literally went, took a car down to, you know, Soto in, in that district, got out of my car, just went up to random truck drivers and started talking to them. Love it. Love um, it. You know, what better way, right? And now some yeah. of them were like, get the hell away from me. And, and that's okay. <laughs> um, but but others were very receptive. And yeah. I still have some of these envelopes that I was handing to these guys. Uh, that were like, Hey, sign up for convoy, get $150 off your, you know, or, or get $150 the first, for the first load you do, whatever it was. Um, you know, it's kind of taken a, a, a little piece of the, the Uber playbook, but yeah. Um, so getting out in the field, uh, talking to these people, trying to understand what they're going through. Then I think we, we did evolve to realizing that, that we could, and I'll actually give you a really funny tidbit real quick. Um, early on, I was thinking to myself, okay, how do we identify all these trucking companies? So when I'd be on the highway and I'd, I'd have a trucking company pass me by, every trucking company on their front door has this 
MC number painted on it. And from the MC number, you can actually go online and figure out who that trucking company is. So it's I'd be like, license. Exa- exactly. It's their federal um, authority, essentially. Hmm. And so right. they that number. Okay. I'd be rolling down the highway with, you know, one hand on the wheel, one hand on my cell phone camera. And I'd be passing these trucking companies, taking photos of their MC number. And, and funny enough, we had like an early Slack channel at Convoy with, and with these photos, just boom, 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 boom. And that was essentially our early lead list of trucking companies to call. Love it. Love <laughs> uh, luck- it. Luckily, we found more scalable ways. But just to say, do things that won't scale to start out. Yeah. Um, and then we realized, yes, you can use the phone. It's a lot more effective. You can reach carriers. And what's cool about it is, uh, again, because it's an industry where it's phone and fax predominantly when, mm. we, when we joined, uh, these people, I think about any B2B business, You know, a lot of times you're calling, you're emailing, and you're not even hearing back. Mm. The trucking companies are essentially programmed to pick up their phone every time mm. because they think it's their next load of freight. Uh-huh. And, they're always, and so it's actually a very captive, receptive audience. Um, so anytime we call, it's a 90% plus answer rate. And, uh, you know, again, early ops, as you guys can probably, it's like, it's kind of sales, right? So it's, it's, Hey, you do five minutes. I want to talk to you about this new thing we're doing. You know, this is is technology. You know, how do you dispatch your freight right now? You know, a lot of these guys are driving and, you know, kind of like I had one hand on the cell phone. I mean, they're all very, very safe. Um, but, but, you know, they might pull over and try to find their next job. Sure. Uh, They're searching different things called load boards of that nature. And, and so it was kind of a, an easier sell, especially to some of the newer entrants who might be a little bit more tech savvy is, sure. Hey, we, ha- we have this app where we're going to be able to bring the best jobs to you instead of you having to go find the best jobs somewhere else. Uh, and, yeah. and, and so that really kind of resonated. Um, and yeah, I think just, uh, you know, always getting better, you know, talking the talk, <laughs> uh, figuring yeah, out yeah, how, to, yeah. how to negotiate with these people. Um, and I'll just say, like I said, we we had enough conversations early on to figure out a couple of hooks that really did help us. Uh, you might have some people who are on the fence about joining our marketplace, but uh, we did something called Free Quick Pay, which we were the first uh, broker to do, which was essentially if you do a convoy job and you use our app through the duration of the job, uh, which would allow us to to track the job and give that to mm. the shipper, which is a value Got add, sure. um, we will pay you in two to four business days for 0%, which was wow. revolutionary at the time. You know, like I said before, they would previously had to pay 3% um, for a similar service. That was one. And the other one uh, was called automated detention. And what this was, is like I said before, trucking company pulls in to say a pickup location to pick up their freight. Um, generally how the industry works is the clock starts when you roll in after two hours of waiting you actually get compensated for your time after two hours. The problem wow. was the game of he said, she said of when did this person roll in? Right. How much are they actually getting paid? Yeah. And oftentimes the big shippers would win that battle versus the small carriers. Jeez. We said, hey, use our app. Yeah. We have these geofences. <laughs> so when you roll in, the clock is ticking. We will guarantee your detention pay and let us handle that battle with the shippers on the back end. I don't want to say battle. Oftentimes shippers are very fair about that, but um, those two things, yeah. you know, helped us get over that line wow. uh, with a lot of carriers who, who might've said, Oh, this seems interesting, but, but you know, it, it, but, that, but yeah. it got them over <laughs> the, the, but yeah. so I'd say, I'd say those were some of the things kind of early on. Um, and then just, you know, the last I'd say would be 
like I, like I said before, you, you couldn't fail on loads. And so you had to be available around the clock. Uh, you know, you'd have to yeah. leave your cell phone out. I don't necessarily recommend um, <laughs> cell phones out to, to thousands of people because it, it'll never stop ringing. Um, wow. You know, but, but yeah, our cell phones were in the hands of lots of carriers and they could reach us for any issue they had. And, and that's how you build trust. You kind of just go the extra mile. And, and I'd like to think that, you know, we continue to do that with our carrier base. Hey, hey, wasn't that awesome? Hope you're enjoying it so far. Yeah, and you better get ready because we didn't end the conversation there. So stay tuned for part two of this striking conversation. More mayhem coming. Mm-hmm.